What's up, Daw Nation? My name is Wyatt Troy, and I want to welcome you to episode 44 of Behind the Daw, where we interview music producers, artists, music industry experts, and people of that nature on an emotional, philosophical, and artistic basis. This is a companion podcast to our YouTube series, In the Daw, where we invite music producers to come and dissect their songs in real time. If you're interested in that, there is a link in the description, or you can go to Multiplier's YouTube channel and search them up there, or on the podcast, those are the 0.5 episodes. So the one that was right before this was episode 43.5 with Culprit. If you're interested in those, go ahead and check those out. But I got a few links in the description that I want to go over with you before we get into who we're going to interview today. So the first link that's in the description is for the Patreon. If you want to make sure that we can keep bringing you these episodes forever for free, please check out the Patreon. It starts at a dollar a month. And if you want to shoot up to the $5 a month tier, you not only get access to a private Discord community, but in that private Discord community, we live stream all of the interviews that we do. You can ask the questions to the artists that we interview on each episode of In the Dome behind the dot and we always pick a lucky winner for the interview that we do so go ahead and check that out the second link in the description is for suggestions if you want to suggest i want to come on the show please right there click it. The third link in the description is for private lessons. If you want private lessons in electronic music production or in social media marketing, there's a link waiting for you right now. So click on it. And then finally, the last link in there is for a free consultation. If you want to enter to win a social media marketing free consultation, it's 20 minutes. Go ahead, click that link. If you win, I will notify you on Facebook. But donation, we got all that out of the way. So let's talk about who is coming on the show today. It is Note Taker. Note Taker, dude, this guy is incredible. He's had releases on Armada, Mousetrap, Monster Cat, and a bunch of others, as well as having collabs with Kara and Black Gummy and remixes for Halion and Garth Emery. He's kind of in the shadows but he's kind of everywhere in the shadows at the same time. But what are you going to be learning in this episode? Well, we're going to be talking about should you take music business opportunities that you don't feel wholeheartedly invested in? Should you just for the sake of growing? We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about a step-by-step framework of how to create a story within a song and why you should create a story within a song. And we're going to talk about why adding time restraints to creation could kill your flow. Some people like time restraints, but we're going to talk about the potential negative effects of that. Hey, if you like this episode, please like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, you know, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on, like iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Deezer, you know, wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. It just helps us grow. It helps us know that we're moving in the direction that you need us to, Donation. And finally, after this episode is done, I would highly encourage you to check out the last episode of Behind the Daw that we did. That one was with Christina Soto. The knowledge, the wisdom that came from that, it's just too much to pass up. Donation, I'd highly encourage you to go check that out. But Donation, let's get into the interview today. I want to introduce you to No Taker. I want to welcome you to this episode of Behind the Daw. We are honored to be able to have No Taker. No Taker, say what's up to Daw Nation and tell us something incredibly embarrassing about yourself. <laughs> what's up, Daw Nations? Me, No Taker. One of the most incredibly embarrassing things that happened to me was uh, when I got to close out uh, the show at Exchange LA for Gareth Emery and I ended up train wrecking. What happened was, you know, I was prepared most of the night, had my set kind of together for what I wanted to play. I got on stage and I just like, it's kind of one of my first big shows. And like, I knew there's a lot of people there. It's like the, uh, the owner from Monster Cat was there. Gareth Emery was kind of there. And, you know, a bunch of different people from the music industry were there. So I was like, 
I was pretty nervous. You know, I got a lot of eyes on me. I got to do well. So I dropped my first song, was fine. Went into the transition for the next one, played that one until I needed to transition into the next one. But what I didn't realize was that I let the last song play out instead of just stopping the song went to my next song. So I had two of the same songs playing at the same time for about a minute or two. <laughs> and it was just like train wrecking the whole time. And it was funny because I didn't realize it because I had, I was mixing in my headphones. So I was a little worried. Like the, I wouldn't be able to do it with the monitors and how loud it was in there. And I was watching this guy on the rail and he's just giving me this weird look the whole time. Then my manager comes up, taps me. He's like, Hey man, is everything okay? I pop my headphone off and I'm like, turn down the fader on the on the one that was that wasn't supposed to be playing. It was pretty embarrassing, but like the rest of my set went went pretty well. Have you fully recovered from that incident? <laughs> I think so. I think I'm I'm fine with it now. I just see it as something that's funny that just happened. Thank you so much for that embarrassing story. <laughs> so now that we've got that out of the way, that usually helps people open up. You know, it's basically all right. All right, got that out of the way. Everything's gonna be easy from here on out. But now we got to get you into the deep mindset. All right. So I got some memeish, serious questions for you. You ready for these? I'm ready. Is it true? That if someone, by the way, when is your birthday? I want to know this. This might apply to you. My birthday is September 23rd. Doesn't apply to you. Okay. So let's say that your birthday was December 31st. Could you say that your birthday was never next year? Like anytime anyone would ask you, when is your birthday? You would have to say it's this year. Is that true? I guess so. I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think about it. So you wouldn't be able to say it like, yeah, I guess you're right. You would never be able to say like, it's next year. When it is your birthday, it's in the year. And then the day after your birthday, which is the next year, it's still in that year. Your right. birthday is never next year. You're never going to be able to be like, oh yeah, my birthday's past this year. I'm really happy you confirmed this for me because I was like, I don't know if that's true, but I really hope that's true. That is really cool. Yeah, it's, that's got to be the case. It has to be. That's great. All right. So the next one I got for you is, is it true that before cameras it would have been impossible for someone to see themselves blink. Before cameras, I guess maybe you could have had someone like paint a picture of you with your eyes closed, right? That's true. But would it still be you though? Because they just, well, it was a picture. Oh right yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. I guess in that, in that sense, you're seeing someone interpret you through their own eyes of some sort and vision. So I guess maybe not theoretically. Well, even if you, even if it's a picture of you blinking, technically that's the camera's interpretation of you and not actually you, is it? Yeah. If we're if we're going deep, we're going. Deep. <laughs> we're going. Yeah, we're going way deep. Then it'll keep you up at night. You got you got more important things to worry about. No taker, don't worry about. Okay. It. Right. So, final question before we get into the really the really real deep questions. Really, really. Are flags just profile pictures for different countries? Like if the United States had an Instagram account, it'd just be the, <laughs> the flag on. I mean, it would have to be. Who else would it be? You know, or what else would it be? Yeah, I mean, if it wouldn't be anything else, I guess. I mean, it could be Trump, but I mean. Yeah, it could be like a bald eagle or something. But then that makes it could that, be a that, bald eagle. And then ask like, what would Canada put? You know, would they put like their flag, or would they put like a bottle of maple syrup or something? <laughs> and, and, in order to keep our government from shutting down again, we would just say, yeah, just just put the picture of the flag, right? <laughs> yeah, right? I think so. Awesome, man. Do you feel like you're in a much deeper mindset now? Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking about things harder. So in 2009. That's when you really got into the producing world. You know how you were at a, were you at a Toyota dealership when someone said you should go to the electronic show. Is that is that yes, is that right? That is that is correct. Yeah, so you were there, and someone told you to go to the electronic show, and then someone told you to get into Logic Pro. So it's been it's basically been a decade since that's happened. So what have been some of your main takeaways in the last decade of you doing music? Me kind of discovering what I wanted to start, you know, showing people 
what I wanted to start making my, you know, artistic vision, creating my identity. A lot of it has to do with kind of like what's been really inspiring me lately, you know, and then trying to take that inspiration and turn it into a story of some sort, you know, with like art and music. And it's, it's really a crazy journey, you know, writing music because I've gone through so many different phases and stuff. You know, when I first started out, you know, what got me really interested in dance music was just trance, you know, and like that was the first big like act I saw was like a big trance DJ. And so I was just, you know, enthralled with that. Later on, I kind of got more into like house music. And then uh, after that kind of phase, more into say like uh, uh, more mid-tempo stuff. And now I'm just, I can appreciate just about everything, you know? So it's it's done a lot for me, making me a lot more like well-versed in what I listen to and what I can appreciate, I feel like. The main piece of the pie, so to say, that you wanted to hold on to was that you want to be able to create the things that really resonate with you, that really depict you in such a way. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's that's fair to say. What are some times when that didn't happen, when you created something and it wasn't a true representation of you? I mean, did that happen a lot in the first stages or? I mean, it still happens. I guess it happens every so often. You'll get you'll get kind of inspired to do something that, that you're like, ah, this doesn't really sound or have anything to do with me. You know what I mean? For instance, I'll, I'll give this as like a good example. I wrote this song uh, that I released last year in about February called Too Smooth. I really liked the song a lot and I thought, you know, I was like, I was like, you know what, I can, I can release whatever I want, you know, and I can do this and, and that and I'm just trying something new here. And, you know, when I look back on it, I'm kind of like, I think about it more and I'm like, it doesn't quite fit with everything else I've been doing, you know, even though I, I really like that song and it's cool for me to listen to. It's just like, I don't know if I really wanted, if I really wanted that to be a part of like what my artistic image would be. This is a problem that's been brought up on the podcast many times. So if you were inspired, if you wanted to create that thing, but at the moment, you know, you, you, you created this thing out of inspiration, but then you, you know, you do have to throw it through the business filter. If you have a brand, if you're trying to make a living off your music, what happens when that happens, when you create something out, out of inspiration, but it doesn't fit with your brand? I mean, what, what should you do with that thing? Maybe it'll sit in the, the WIP folder for a long while. And then one day, all of a sudden it, it's something that is going to be like, Oh, Hey, this, this thing could work for this. If I make something that I don't, necessarily think is release worthy or doesn't like fit something my first thought is always like oh this is great i'm going to show it to everybody i know later on when i start to think about it and like really reason with myself i'm like all right maybe this isn't something we're going to release right away or here and there i mean i don't think you should stop you know some people think like all right if i'm not going to release this why am i even writing this it's also like important and kind of healthy to, for your creative side to kind of dive into those different feelings and kind of explore those avenues, you know, because without it, you're just going to be stuck in that one feeling, that one vibe, that one realm that you put yourself in. You won't ever be able to evolve and move past that if you never try. If you guys have never heard of No Taker before, he makes very, I, the way that I would describe it is like dark, deep, house, trance, progressive, nightmare, lovely, beautiful stuff. Is that kind of <laughs> in the realm? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely all over the place. So if you woke up one day and you were just like, I feel so inspired to make 1980s hip hop beat right? And you made it and you were inspired and you created it. You're right. At that point, it probably wouldn't make sense on the business 
spectrum to put it out underneath note taker. So what you're saying is that, well, one of the avenues that you could do is actually take that, put it in your whip folder, and maybe one day it will evolve into something, you know, maybe you'll, you'll be inspired again to evolve it into uh, something that you can put it out on your brand, or maybe uh, you're just creating it for creation's sake. You just want to create something and this is what you're inspired by. And you don't have to have that justified by other people or putting it out or anything like that. Is that is that kind of what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, that's kind of the, the mindset I have behind it. I mean, my philosophy behind it is, you know, you write the music first and then you figure out what you're going to do with it later. If you only write stuff just to release it, then in turn, I feel like you're never going to like really try to you're never going to find that weird, crazy thing that you could have written if you were just messing around, you know what I mean? And like something that could be great. Yeah, anything could happen with, with said song. You know, you could put it out. It could be part of like a compilation of something. You're like, well, this is, you know, some other stuff that I tried out. Like I'm, I know Dead Mouse released that uh, Stuff I Used to Do album where it's like 15 songs or so of like stuff that doesn't quite sound like his sound, but it's stuff he's just made over years and years, threw it all into an album and put it out. Some of it's really cool, you know? I do really like that idea. And I don't, I don't know why that hasn't come up before, but you're absolutely right. I think that's a great idea is, yeah, it's kind of the, the you can make an album, still release it underneath your name, but it's kind of like an album you don't really promote or anything, but it's just things I've created that, that doesn't really fit anywhere, but I still wanted to release them. And I, I like that. So you personally, you can spend like 10 to 12 hours of making music per day. I guess my question is how? How is that even possible? Like, I can't even sleep that long. How can you produce music that long? You know what I mean? How, how do you stay focused and not be burned out and stuff like that? For me, I kind of see it all as just like practice and stuff. I mean, but if like, say there's a deadline or something coming up and it's like something you literally have to do, sometimes you literally have to work those 10, 12 hour whatever's, you know, to, to get it done. But I mean, sometimes I can get a studio and, you know, I'm just having a good day and I can feel the creative momentum kind of happening on something and that's kind of when my mind clicks over into like oh i should probably keep this going rather than taking a break and going doing this going to do something else while i still have this creative momentum pushing forward sometimes like i'm completely in the zone and i can like write write like it's like my sixth sense or something you know and then there's other days where it's like I have writer's block all day and I can't do anything. I'm definitely not writing for 10 to 12 hours a day in the studio, but like the days that, you know, I'm really feeling it. Those are the days I'm like, this is fun. I'm in here, I'm working and like I'm creating something cool. So on average, what is your average producing length before you need to take a break? I say on average, it's probably like two to three hours working time and then I'll take a break. That's about average. Yeah. Cause I'm the same way. And that's that honestly, that's how it is for me with anything with producing music or editing podcasts or emailing or playing with my kids. I'm sad to say, but uh, you know what <laughs> I mean? It's just like after that long, like, I just, I, I kind of need a break just for a second. Yeah, just, definitely. Little, little recharge. No, I get it. So, so when you're in that flow state, what is the number one thing that kills your creativity? I'd say rushing. I'd say rushing something out, not giving uh, something its full deserved attention. I've read this tweet by by uh, Porter Robinson not too long ago. He's, I think he was talking to Shadyant. They're talking about writer's block or something along the lines. And he was saying that if you look at everything as like practice, then you'll never like, you know, you don't produce as a means to an end. You just look at it all as like you're practicing something. Then you'll never like really like rush and hurry up and try to try to finish something up real quick. And then also everything you do will be meaningful, you know, because you're like, oh, this is practice. You know, I'm, I'm working on this. Staying in that mindset of like it's practice. I'm not rushing really helps the creativity on that side. 
And then if I don't, if I don't do those things, if I'm rushing and I'm like, oh, I got to finish this up because I need to get something out to release, then that kind of kills the creativity too. So it's, it's more of a mindset for me. You see it as practice. You're like, you know what? This thing requires X amount of work. I don't know how much that work is, but I know it requires X amount of work. And anytime I sit down to work, it is fulfilling that I'm practicing to fulfill that. Right. Whereas if you looked at the other side, it was like, I need to get this song done within two weeks. When you, when you label it like that, even if both of them would have taken two weeks of work because you label it the other way, you label it like, I have to get it done within this set amount of time. You, in your personal opinion, you're saying that kills creativity a lot? Absolutely. And it happens a lot like with like remixes and stuff. And it's like, it's really hard for me to do those. Do you feel like once you start getting into that area of your life where music is your mainstay, your main financial stability, do you feel like that's going to impact your your creativity because it's going to be tied to that? I don't know. I've, I've thought about that. It's definitely going to be a transition for sure, because at the moment, it's still kind of like, it still feels like a hobby. It doesn't really feel like a job or work for me when it is actual work. And it's like going to be my sole thing. It could be a little different for me. I'm not sure though. I hope it's not. I hope I can figure out a way to overcome that and just have it be, have it feel like it feels now, you know, and I can continue enjoying writing and whatnot. You pride yourself in telling stories with your songs and your music and your artwork and basically everything that you do that's wrapped up in this in this little musical package that you give to us. So how do you do that? What is the process of you writing such a multifaceted story with with each release? It all depends on kind of the things that I get really inspired by. I wrote Corrupted with Black Gummy. And then I was kind of experimenting around with some of these other darker kind of sounds. Uh, It just kind of occurred to me, I was like, I really like this feeling that I'm kind of coming up with here. And I think I could probably turn that into an EP of some sort. Like I thought about all the things that, uh, that, you know, have really inspired me, like from cinema and stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe I can focus this on more of like some dark kind of sci-fi mood, you know, that like, I've seen in movies, you know, like Alien or Space Odyssey, like 2001, and just kind of channel some of that energy into the art, into the EP. So it's it's like, honestly, I feel like sometimes more inspired by like films and movies than I am, say, like music sometimes. Because they're like, well, what kind of music were you listening to when you wrote this? And I'm like, I don't remember, but I do remember this movie I, that, that I really liked that kind of made me think about this song a lot, you know, so... I think it all depends on kind of like what's helped inspire me to do that. Lately, I've been on like this big like Blade Runner kick, you know, where I've been watching that movie a bunch. And I just watched a new 2049 Blade Runner movie. Those ones have been like really a big influence on me like lately. So hopefully something cool comes out of that. (laughs) Gotcha. So kind of from what I'm hearing is like the very core kind of like step one of this story writing process is that at the core of it is, is a feeling is a certain type of feeling or a certain type of emotion that comes from it. Right. Is that, is that the core of it all? Yeah, I think so. You find the feeling and then you kind of, you kind of start to build around that. What's step two, after you have that core, that feeling, it, what is the next step? You're writing words that you actually physically writing a story or you move into melody, you know, like what's, what's step two. Imagine what this, this feeling is, you know, centered around, like imagine kind of like some imagery behind it. So, you know, when I think about like corrupted, I'm kind of like, all right, the name's corrupted, you know, and it's got, it's like some computer lingo to it, you know, like corrupted files, so on and so forth. It's like, what if there's, 
you know, some type of AI corrupted like in this movie. And then that was kind of the whole idea behind that. Then, then I started to think, all right, now that I have that, how can I fit more stuff behind it? You start writing more kind of songs in that, in that mood and that feeling and, uh, you know, start to, start to really come up with stories that how those songs make you feel. And then from, from all of it, I'm, I'm like piecing together the story song by song with weird artwork and stuff that goes along with it. And, uh, yeah, that's just kind of how that makes sense. So you got your core, you got your feeling. And then step two from what you were telling me is then, then you actually start to craft the details of the story, how you were saying, I like the word corrupted. Corrupted can mean an AI that is corrupted and you start, you start creating the story around that. And so I'm assuming that once you kind of start thinking about that, start crafting that story, that step three is when you start going into the DAW and you start how you were saying, like finding sounds that make that or making sounds that sound like the story or constructing a melody or, or what have you to kind of fit around the story. Is that correct? That's pretty much what happens next. Honestly, because that's that's literally the exact same thing that I do. And I've found that that is the most, I don't know how to say, it, like the easiest, the most beneficial, the richest way to to create music. Because the times when I just sit down and you're like, I don't know what I want to create. I don't know what kind of sounds I want to make. I don't know what I want to do right now. It can yield things for me, but very rarely does it. Yeah, for sure. You can definitely find things of inspiration, you know, by like dissecting other people's songs. Like if you have no idea what you want to do, you can bring someone else's song in and, and recreate it, so to say, and then change it. Like that's, that's obviously really, really good. If you don't have a story right off the bat, uh, you can also play around with like presets and stuff like that to be inspired. But to me, in my experience, and it sounds like in your experience as well, the richest songs that come out the most dense emotional songs that come out are the ones that you have taken the time, you've thought about a story and you've constructed a song around that story. Is that correct? Yeah, for sure. I guess logically in my mind, step forward, then be creating like supplementary content for the story that you created. So creating like cover art or whatever. But sometimes, I mean, maybe creating the cover art before you create the music could be really, could be really, really great because then that could even help solidify it in your mind even more to write the song in in musical form i mean am i I on the right track or am i am i I thinking about it right yeah for sure i mean that's definitely a you know like a key thing for me do you know who uh do you know who beeple is yeah okay so beeple makes like all these like really cool like uh like loops and stuff and he has them like for free up on uh on like vimeo so every so often you know i might download like one of those and just have it going like on my right screen and just produce on my left screen and just see what see what kind of like feelings I can get, you know, just by having that, having that atmosphere in the, in the area, you know, or might go surf through say like a, like a designer's like Instagram account. Actually, I have an, I have an idea for you. Something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And this is a tip that I've been telling people, you know, if they, if they can't afford a really great graphic designer to create really great graphic art, what you can do is this is so uh, you ever mess around with uh, Adobe stock? I haven't. Okay, so you know what stock photos are, right? Yes. Cool. So Adobe Stock is like stock photos, but they're they're photoshopped. They're really cool pictures. They're like this one has a zebra with it with its lines starting to come off, right? And, and they're like the lines are start like the the stripes on the zebra are starting to stand up in the air. You know what I mean? Just like photoshopped, really cool kind of stuff. But they're stock, so these are images that people have already created. But you can go and you can own them by paying like ten dollars a month or something like that. And so I've encouraged people. It's like you know if you can't afford a really great graphic designer you could go and pay 10 bucks a month to get these whatever whatever picture you want there's millions on there right that that could be really really great but in this situation that we're talking about it would i think it would just be great just for the sense of just going through and being like whoa 
this picture really inspires me because they're really, really great, right? They're just, they're hardcore Photoshopped. And so, you know, these, these pictures inspire me. Now I can write a song. I can write a story around these pictures. I mean, what do you think about that? I think that's pretty cool. Kind of the same thing I was doing, but like, instead of using that, I'm just going on like Reddit or like some other things or Google images and searching certain words and whatnot, like cyberpunk or space or, you know, whatever. That's, that's pretty cool idea though. This is going to be a controversial question, all right, especially amongst the the DJ community, all right? So you, you spend all this time, you know, writing these stories, crafting these songs, getting the visuals just right, you know, kind of creating this, this artistic masterpiece. Do you feel like you DJing? You just getting, you know, in front of the D, in front of the CDJs and DJing. Do you feel like that is kind of anticlimactic for you creating this huge story personally? I feel like it is in in a way, but in another way, I feel like it doesn't have to be. From my understanding, like from all the shows I've ever been to, you can make your DJ set as boring and dull as you possibly want you can play just about any track and it'll be dull and boring or you could or you can make your dj set like extremely exciting in all kinds of different ways and kind of pair that with your visuals and and different things i see what you're saying like you're you're kind of missing some type of potential to kind of make this live experience something something more incredible if you had say the means to do so i have friends that dj and they love it they think it's really really fun and that's awesome for them to me it's kind of boring in a way and so i know it's controversial to say and i don't mean playing i'm sure if i if i actually played it would be really really great i I just mean like on a on a pure absorbing standpoint like me watching people dj is not fun it's not fun for me personally. And so that's why I'm kind of like, you know, they create these songs, you create these stories and this, and the stuff. And it's like when it's shown through DJing to me, it's, it's, it's a bit anticlimactic and I'm sure that's just a taste thing. No, I, I totally see what you mean. It's like a combination of kind of being in the moment and then also, you know, the means of performance. Like for instance, man, I've seen, I've seen like the chemical brothers perform and they're just like, that was one of the craziest like live experiences I've ever seen. And they're not up there DJing, you know, they got like all their synthesizers up there. They're recreating pretty much sounds in their songs and stuff. And it's all paired up to their visuals and whatnot. And I mean, to watch that and then to watch another person DJ, say like, for instance, like say comparing that with like, say Eric Prids's hologram show, he's DJing and stuff and kind of putting his records together. And you don't quite know exactly what he's going to play for those sets. But like at the same time, he's got this crazy production to, to his music. You know, I guess if that production wasn't there, would it be just as exciting? I don't know. Maybe this is a two-parted question where it's, you know, aside from all this, all this stage production and all this production value, does the performance hold up just on what this guy is doing, what these people are doing on stage? I see what you're saying. Yeah. I'm sure it can be done. You know, a lot of, I can't remember who I was bringing this up to. I just barely found out about this app that you can get on your phone. What you can do on your phone is that you can create AR graphics really, really easily. And I think it's, I think it's free. I think it's completely free. You can create AR graphics on your phone for free and that thing will stay in the position and and like the angle and everything in AR. So what, you know, you could do is that you could go, you know, when you're doing sound check, you could create animals and 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 landscapes and whatever in AR 
And then when you're performing, you can tell the people to download the app and go to your little profile or whatever, and they can see those in real time where you put them in the show. That's pretty crazy, though. Stuff like that, to me, is like, now that's a show. Now that's something to what, you know what I mean? I got a music business tip for you guys, a music business tip for this week. It's really, really interesting. I think it's really good, and I think it's really untapped. Um, so what it is, it is uh, subscribers.com. You ever heard of that before? I haven't, no. So it's push notifications. Do you know what push notifications are? It's a term I've heard, but I'm not exactly familiar with what it means. So a push notification is this. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your computer. Basically what it is, is it's a little notification that comes up and tells you a certain thing about a certain thing. So for example, a push notification that I get all the time is that I have my push notifications turned on for my Gmail. So whenever someone sends me an email, I get a push notification. I get a little notification at the very top right of my computer that says someone just sent you an email, whoever it may be. That is a push notification. You can sign up for push notifications for anything. It can be for Facebook. It can be for a certain website. It can be for anything. It can be for Spotify, right? And it's the same on your phone. Whenever you get a little thing on your phone that says, hey, someone just liked your picture on Instagram, that's a push notification, right? So are we clear on what a push notification is? Yes. What I'm thinking of for for musicians, for producers, for people such as that, the problem with when you get people to sign up for or to follow you on Instagram or to follow you on SoundCloud or on Spotify or whatever. The problem with that is, and the problem that will always be is, is then you are subjected to the rules of that platform, right? So what if they change their algorithms? What if they go out of business? What if everyone leaves that platform? You're kind of screwed, right? You just, that's just kind of the, the way it is. That's why everyone, you know, that invested so much time on Facebook and got millions or hundreds of thousands of likes are kind of shooting themselves in the foot right now because they're like, man, it's a barren wasteland right now. No one's over there. The reach sucks. You see what I'm saying? This is a prime example of when you put so much energy into one thing, but you don't own that thing. But I'm not trying to say don't be in those platforms, but it's just kind of the price that you pay. Right. If stuff goes south, you're kind of screwed. You know what I mean? And so when it comes to push notifications or, or gathering emails or anything such as that, that's yours. That's yours forever. Mm-hmm. And so you can keep that and you can translate that. So the really cool thing is about subscribers.com, which they had to pay so much freaking money to get that domain name. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but anyways, so, so subscribers.com, it f- completely focuses around people coming to your website or to a certain website that you say and that sign up for push notifications. So for example, if someone went to your website, NoteTaker, and they signed up to not only get on your email list, but to get on, you know, or to, to sign up for push notifications, you could, you could notify them literally anywhere at any time about anything. Hey, I just put out a new song. Hey, I just released a collab. Hey, I'm performing in your city tonight. Hey, you know what I mean? And yeah. push notifications are viewed so much. They're so high. Even if someone doesn't act on them, they will at least look at them and be aware about who you are, what's going on. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I never I never even like thought about that, but like that that would be a really really great useful tool. Now, so you can get it for free up to 200 subscribers, which is awesome. And then of course their business, they want more money, of course. And so I, th- I think it's like 200 to 10,000 subscribers is like 30 bucks a month. Whether that's worth it or not, that's that's on, on an individual basis. But anyway, so I just wanted to throw that out there as a, as a cool little business tip to be able to gather your super fans into one little thing that you can keep reusing over and over again. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll definitely look into it. Just having, you know, say, like an email list you can tell like how valuable that is and then 
you know, if you can literally send something straight to someone's phone, then they'll look at it. <laughs> That's great. So coming back into, you know, talking about you and your project and stuff like that. Uh, the last questions that I have for you is really focusing along diving deep into the story of specific songs that you've released. Is that going to be okay? Yeah, that's fine. Let's start with Infinite. What was the story behind Infinite? So the story behind Infinite was I kind of started out inspired by a track that my friend Dylan writes as a duo under the alias Eminence made. And his song was called Lost in Time. And it's really this kind of like slow, slow moving kind of ambient sounding uh, melodic ballad, kind of like an interlude in his in their EP. And I really liked it a lot. Cause it was like, it was like, I like I like the idea of not having something that sounded what I was used to producing, which was like four on the floor kind of stuff. I think after, so I wrote, I wrote something that sounded kind of similar, kept that file just kind of in, in the WIP folder for a while. And then I kind of started exploring the more mid-tempo stuff, the more ethereal kind of uh, Porter Robinson sound, the M83 kind of sound. And then that's kind of where I got the inspiration to kind of start to turn, to turn that, that kind of like ambient number that I produced into the more energetic infinite, what, what it became. And did you write a specific story behind it? Kind of like how the one story is with the corrupted AI. Was there a specific story behind infinite? There wasn't a specific story behind that. I think that was before I started kind of thinking in that way. I was back in like 2015 and I was still kind of like still kind of trying to write stuff that just sounded cool. I was just thinking like along the lines of, oh, let's just experiment and try this new this new style at a different tempo that I've never experimented at before. So one of your, your newer songs, The Storm, I'm assuming that has a story behind it, right? Because that's kind of one of your newer ones. Yeah, that one, that one was more in the line of kind of this Blade Runner kind of thing that I was coming behind. The idea behind that one was to create something very atmospheric, but also very powerful too. When I think about like Blade Runner, like I think about these synths and these soundscapes that sound very, they're, they're like pads and stuff almost, but like the way they sound sounds really cinematic and like just powerful. So I was kind of trying to aim for, for that feeling and kind of that, those like emotions. What about the song you did with, with Kara? We recently just barely had her on behind the Daw two episodes ago. Who I am is, does that have a specific story behind it? It's who I am. I would say it doesn't have a, an exact specific story behind it. When me and Declan were, were writing that song, uh, he sent me over the, the way it happened. He sent me over the piano line. And then I kind of was like, I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. You know, and he's like, he's like well, do you want to work on it with me? I was like, well, let me, let me, let me sit on it for a second and, you know, see if I come back to it. And it sounds cool. Then, then yeah. And we ended up working on it together. And uh, since it was kind of more of like a collaboration, him and I, you know, just kind of, we're going with, you know, what our guts were, were feeling, I feel, I think, on that one. I knew we wanted something that, that sounded very pretty sounding. With Kara, we gave her a little bit of, 
uh, direction on on what the what we wanted her to do with the vocals because I had done some vocals on the song prior to sending it over to her and uh, shared shared those with her. And I was like, can we do something along those lines? You know, like we kind of wanted the song, the lyrics to be about someone being accepted for who they are and no matter what they you know where they're from or what they do, they're they're gonna they're they're looking for that acceptance you know and uh she was like yeah i can do something like that and uh and then kind of false came together and that was it i didn't really have kind of like a a theme along along the lines of like what kind of imagery i wanted with that with that song that's kind of like in the process of me making the vessel and whatnot still i did get an email from andrea the other day and she mentioned that you have a new song coming out here relatively quickly right remind me what what song is that this new song is called Into the Light, and it's also featuring Kara. Oh, that's so good. So what about what about that song? Do you have a story behind that one? Yes. So with this one, I popped open kind of an old project file that started like a long time ago, and I think I was just on Twitch. And I was just like, hey, guys, I'm going to go through my old, my old work in progress. So you want to come watch? And I opened this one up, and I was like, I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like I just wrote maybe like a like a 16 bar loop of like this melody and whatnot. And then I started putting, I started thinking about like how it made me feel. And it was like, that feels real, like ethereal, feels real, very happy. So I was like, why don't I pair this with like some, maybe some birds and like, uh, like some grass step or some, like a foley of someone walking through grass and stuff. And it, and, and once I did that, it felt more like, you're walking through like an enchanted kind of forest. And then that's kind of the vibe that started coming, coming around this whole, this whole song. And after that, we kind of, uh, we kind of started, or I kind of started uh, just messing around with vocals and synths and became something real cool. <laughs> what story have you written with a specific song that has up to this time has been your absolute favorite? It's just like, yes, I wish every song could turn out like this. I think I really like the feeling that I've kind of like, that kind of shaped around uh, my song Shimmer. The idea and the artwork and stuff that we came up with for it, it all kind of, you know, revolved like around me writing this song on like a summer day where it's really really sunny out and really beautiful. And, and then I was just like, you know what? I'm going to write something today that makes me feel like this. I wrote that and it was just like, oh, this is perfect. You know, what does this even sound like? I was like, it sounds like something shimmering, like some light shimmering off of it. I don't know. I felt like that one came together like in a way that I've, I've been able to do kind of closely, but not exactly every single time. <laughs> one final question for you. And that is, you know, over the course of your entire career, it's, it's a two-part question. So the first part, I guess it really should just be two questions. But anyways, so the first part of this question is, what is the worst decision that you've made in your career thus far? Can I come back to this one? Absolutely. So the, the other part of the question is, what is the best decision you've ever made for your career? I'd say the, I'd say the best decision I've ever made for my career is the deciding that, you know, whatever I, whatever I decide to, to write, you know, if I'm going to write music, that it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun for me. And then the time that it's not fun, I'm just not going to do it anymore. I feel like that's been my like recipe for success this whole time. It's like, I really enjoy what I do and like what music gives me that fulfillment it gives me. I think holding on to that ideal ideology, you know, it's really, it really puts me in a good spot. 
swinging back around to the worst decision that you've made. What's that? I'm going to have to say, you know, like the worst decision I think I've made, and I'm not going to go into specifics, but like accepting, I think accepting like certain remixes that didn't quite pan out or that I wasn't really super interested in doing, but I knew it would be good on the business side to do. Like for instance, like not too long ago said, said large artist kind of, hit me up and was like, hey, do you want to do a remix for this song? And even though I, I wasn't quite totally into the song, wasn't super excited about it, I was like, yeah, I guess I'll I'll give it a shot, you know? And then when the time comes and I'm working on it and it and it's not quite working, you know, and I have to kind of go back and be like, man, I don't know if this is if this is, you know, something I'm 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 interested in doing. I think those times where I kind of don't hold hold true to the idea like hey, if you're going to work on something, make sure it's something you're going to enjoy working on and make sure it's something you're into and and whatnot. I think those times when I don't hold true to that, it's, you know, I can say those are those are probably some of the worst decisions I've made in my career. <laughs> There's a phrase in the social media marketing world, which is when you're presented with an idea, if it's not a heck yeah, it's a heck no, right? When, you, when someone brings you an opportunity and if you're not like, oh yeah, let's do this then it should be no. Because if you say yes to something that you're not totally invested in, you're only going to do subpar work. And when you say yes to something that you're subpar about, you're saying no to all the other great things that you could have been doing. Is there any final words for our listeners that you want to say before we wrap up here? It's been a pleasure here getting to tell you tell you guys a little bit about myself. You know, uh, if you guys get the chance, reach out to me and you know, I'd be happy to talk to anybody about music related stuff. Did you have a good time? Oh yeah, it's great, man. It's always great talking about music. Hey, Daw Nation. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Daw with No Taker. If you did, please like, comment, subscribe, repost, follow, whatever is appropriate on the particular platform that you're listening on like iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and Deezer and SoundCloud and wherever you're at. It doesn't matter. It just helps us know that we're moving in the direction that you need us to. Also, if you want to be a part of these interviews, buy the live stream so that you can come in, you can ask questions, you can meet the artists, there are links in the description for the Patreon. It starts at $1 a month, but if, you, but if you want access to those live streams, it's $5 a month. It just helps us keep the lights on, helps us keep these interviews free. So please go ahead and check that out. And there is also links for giving suggestions for people to come on the show or to get private lessons in electronic music production or in social media marketing. And finally, I'd highly encourage you to check out the next episode of Behind the Dot. That is going to be coming out on the next Monday. Today is Friday. So on the next Monday in three days, we're going to release the next episode, which is a bonus episode. It is a social media marketing consultation that I did for Culprit, the drum and bass legend. So if you're interested in that, come back on Monday, check that out. The knowledge, the wisdom that's going to be coming from that is absolutely amazing. But Daw Nation, thank you so much for participating in this episode of Behind the Daw, and we'll catch you next week.